podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to our round three weekly review show for the 2024 Guinness Men's Six Nations Championship here on the KLNS Rugby Podcast. After a fantastic weekend, we have an excellent panel ready to run over the highlights and some lowlights. Rejoining us this evening are two returnees in the form of Munster fan Eric Fitzgerald and Scots fan Craig Manson. Welcome back, lads. Hi, nice to be here. Yeah, it's great to be here. Um, great to have uh, three good games to kind of sink our teeth into with a lot of um, fairly dramatic moments and always good to have a weekend where England are beaten. So, <laughs> I mean, Can't complain with that one. No, yeah, absolutely talk not. Talk about playing to your audience right off the bat there, Eric. Love, love to see it. We do have four games. We'll have the Ireland under 20s at the, at the bottom of the show as well. But just before we kick off proceedings, I'd like to remind our YouTube viewers, you can listen to us on on the go wherever you get your podcast. And while you're there, why not like, subscribe, tell a friend, whatever you feel like. Apparently it makes a huge difference. But we will, as always, start with Ireland, start in Dublin as Ireland continue their winning run with a clunky but comprehensive 31-7 victory over Wales. Thanks to tries from Dan Sheehan, Ty Byrne, James Lowe and Kieran Frawley, as well as 11 points from the boot of Munster young gun Jack Crowley. Eric, I'll start with yourself. It's three for three for Ireland on this slam quest. It was imperfect, but like that's kind of par for the course when you're when you're going on title charge, isn't it? I think so, yeah. But I also think that um to contextualize Ireland's run so far, we've played the three worst teams in the championship um by some margin. Um early doors. Like France are an absolute rabble this season, um, in terms of how keenly they felt the loss of both Dupont and Michelac. I think like to lose one, they could have probably hacked that, but to lose the two of them um has just proven to be catastrophic. And we we saw that with like the way Jalibert played today. We saw that with how Luku has been playing all championship. Um I think as well with uh, Italy, Italy like, you know, okay, they've um <clears throat> they came within three points of England, albeit like Ioana's last minute try sort of put a gloss on things um but it, and you know they drew with France today which was absolutely well today at the time of recording which was um uh, phen- their best result ever in France but at the same time like they're in under a new coach like Caseda is trying to put his own stamp on things um they were missing a couple of uh, key players through injury um in Dublin if I recall um but this was definitely the most stuttery that we've seen Ireland look um uh, all championship and I think uh part of that I think there are two major reasons for that I think number one Wales picked a pack to target our set piece and to target our breakdown because obviously like the core of what makes this Ireland team success so successful is number one kind of like sub three even sub two and a half second um rock speed to keep the ball going and to um kind of keep keep the play going and number two um a line out that is drastically improved um from the world cup and seems to be much more simplified um but um you know beard uh, beard and rollins and even wainwright um as one of the kind of counter jumpers um really kind of like made life difficult for Ireland on their own ball. I think it's the most I I, I would wager comfortably that it's the most uh lineouts that we've lost in a game so far this championship on our own throw. Um I would say um I, I think as well like the back row that they picked in it was Wainwright <coughs> Jenkins and help me out here who was that Alex, line side for Alex Mann. 
Alex Mann, yeah. Um, that's that's such a read, like that's such a football manager regen name. Um, but uh, I thought Jack Daff Jenkins did particularly well. I thought Wainwright had a good game. Um, I thought in particular in the back three, I thought Winnis and um and Dyer were excellent. Um, and I thought uh, I thought it, so like kind of you know Wales' selection and how they targeted our game were one key component of that. And I also thought a second key component of it was um. As much as I'm delighted for him to make it like to score a try on his competitive debut, um, I think uh Kieran Frawley um had a few system hiccups in terms of where he was supposed to be in attack. Um, I thought defensively he did very, very well under under the high ball. Um, I thought he returned a couple of balls with interest there from Wales. Um, but I think in terms of like attacking organization. Um, we just missed those one or two key moments. Like Hugo Keenan is one of those players that, like, because of his injury records and because of his like ubiquitous selection in the Ireland team, he's just one of those players that you don't actually realize how good he is until he's missing from your team. And I don't think it's like it would be unfair on Frawley to ex- to expect him to rise to the level of Keenan. But I think any team that's going to lose Hugo Keenan is is a poorer team for it, be that Ireland or be that Leinster. Although, you know, I don't think there's too much fucking difference between them <laughs> these days, really. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. And Craig, we, we mentioned Wales there because, like, to their credit, they went out there was kind of an air of Mourinho, Chelsea off them. They were just there to make life as difficult as possible for Ireland. And they did put up a, a very spirited fight. So do you think do you think Ireland's sluggishness was more that they did make life difficult for themselves or, or would you were you impressed by the Welsh defence? I think and this is the, the, there's one player for Wales that people don't talk about regularly, although they have talked a little bit just in the lead up to this game, and that is uh, Warren Gatland. I think I think his he's well known or his teams are well known to disrupt as much as they possibly can. They're not in a you know he's ta- he's managed to take a team that everyone has written off. They're they're um they've you know everyone is currently talking about the bin fire that is Welsh rugby. Um, all the issues with with um, how the guys are being paid, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and he's managed to just instill a little bit of pride in them and uh, and try and put them together to de- at least defend what I think is a a very strong Ireland team. And and I think they did they put Ireland as they always do. They put every team that comes up against them that are a stronger team than them. They put them off in some way, and whether I think with Ireland it's given them a fairly strong defence. Set piece was a little bit um, here and there. Um, I think um, with Porter up to his usual antics and um, a fairly um, inexperienced international prop up against him, um, he was able to to along with um, I've forgotten the I think it was Bomani that was on his side um, well, yeah. covering up a few of the issues that um, Porter was giving. Um, the, the the Welsh the Welsh tight head I think that gave dominance in the scrum uh, to Ireland and also you know Ireland's mall looked fantastic against um, uh, against um, uh, Wales so I think Gatlin manages to, has managed to put these guys together I think against uh, if we go back to um, the scariest game I've ever I've ever been in attendance to um, at Wales. Um, 
Scotland v Wales, they, he kind of gave them the ability to just go out and have a play while we were down to 14 men. I think they just seem to adapt to whatever that, you know, they've got this grit inside them that they're going to come out and actually um, give you a scare. And I think that's what they've tried to do against Ireland. Unfortunately, Ireland being the, the, the sort of road roller that they are at this moment in time, they, they just couldn't get couldn't get it completely. Um, what's the word? They couldn't get them completely on the back foot. You know, always came back at them. Yeah, and I think... I think it was Jamie Roberts who said on ITV after the game, Ireland are the ultimate counterpunch team. You know, you can punch away, you can punch away, or you can just let them punch you. But ultimately, they're always the one who lands the killer blow. Like, and that's, it's been a testament to them. And I think, like, I wrote about this in my piece yesterday on the whistle. Like, patience is such a huge thing for that Irish team. Like, when Ireland go through, when Ireland get to phase 10, 12, 15, they look more likely to score than most other teams because you see the likes of, you know, take Ty Byrne on his, the line that he took for his try. He's still a two men outside. and was almost indefensible for Wales at that stage. It was going to be either low ships it onto Nash and they score in the corner or Ty Byrne takes that hard line and they score and Wales are all out, already out in their feet. It was, I think it was 45 minute ball in play time or something like that. Like it was something insane. And that, that is testament to Ireland as well. And, I thought Wales were really good. I think I think I seen Sam Costello made something like fifteen tackles or something like that. Like they they certainly were not going to die without you know dying with their boots on, and, and that's credit to them. But Eric, I might just get back to you about Ireland's set piece because Craig touched on it, you touched on it. The scrum the scrum was brilliant, fair enough. The line out probably felt like a bit of a a bit of a wet patch um at times because. You know, from there was a couple of ball transfer issues. There was a free kick conceded. There was two very obvious poor lifts, um, at times and timing issues. So, all in all, not ideal in that regard. Not ideal, and I think you have to remember that, like, for one very important player at Ireland set piece, like this was quite a strange and emotionally charged build up to this game. Like it was Tyke Furlong's first game. Um, in the Aviva since his father passed away back in um back in December. Like you could see the emotion in him um during the national anthems. Um and I think, you know, as much as he wants to go out and play there with pride, I think any performance driven by emotion will always have kind of some rough edges. And there was no doubt an element of distraction there that probably contributed to some of the uh some of the wobbles in the set piece that that you alluded to there, um, Kalon. I also think the other thing as well is, you know, while Ireland probably have the relatively least amount of transition um of a lot of the of all of the six nations teams um this year with the possible exception of Scotland um you know we are still bringing in like important players into um an important player into kind of like our lineup lineup makeup which is Joe McCarthy and Joe McCarthy is like hugely physical uh young man like i mean there's no question i think in my mind that he supplanted like James Ryan as um the starting tight head lock for Ireland and will more than likely I said do so with Leinster next season when RG Snyman moves to them for a year before his inevitable departure to Bath. I got one monster <laughs> tangent in there. Um <laughs> nice. but, uh, but um I think uh, there is still an element of um 
the transition. And I honestly think, as I, I genuinely believe as well, that as, as the game went on, I think what we saw was a move away from a lot of the simpler lineups that Ireland have been running in the first two games of the season and back to some of the complex, like, you know, like that fairground game where you hide a ball behind the underneath a cup and you like you flip around the cups uh, to try and find the ball. Uh, Just don't say on. the word cut out because from the Monster podcast, we've banned that word because it, it has been the ire of my season. Yeah, no, it's 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 absolutely like I, I think we kind of reverted. We reverted to type and we panicked a small bit within the set piece. But yeah. at the same time, I don't think like you alluded to kind of like Ireland's key quality there being patience. And I think particularly within the first 20 minutes when we were making a lot of mistakes where, you know, people were cutting inside or maybe balls should have gone out wide and like passes weren't going to hand or passes were being perhaps, you know, a pop pass was perhaps being fired with too much force for uh, the man coming onto it to make anything of it. Um, I think we always just knew that we could kind of reset, go back to what we were good at um, and pull on from there. And just in terms of set piece in the scrum, like, I mean, Craig alluded to, you know, Andrew Porter's usual antics and absolutely like, I mean, you know, Porter knows how to do one thing and that is to bore in on his, uh, bore in on his hooker uh, on his side. But it's so simple about just painting a picture for referees and like it's so reductive to boil it down into like elbow up, good, elbow down, bad. But that's exactly what it was for Andrea Piardi. Like it didn't matter what angle Porter was going in on uh, on Saturday, so long as he kept his elbow up, he basically got carte blanche to do anything. And on a broader note than that, like I was reffing two under sixteens games over the last two weeks ends, one um one boys, one girls. And I honestly think that the way the scrum is being coached lately from like the grassroots up, it's all about power and it's not about technique anymore. And I think yeah. young props are being coached deliberately to just be like, okay, are you bigger than the guy opposite you or the girl opposite you? Just drive in them. Doesn't matter whether you go straight, doesn't matter how you bind, just drive in them, try and split them. And I think the, and look, I mean, you know, Porter moved across from tight head. He's not a natural loose head. He's trying to, I think he's kind of almost trying to like short circuit or shortcut like parts of his game in order to be an effective loose head. Um, but I really think that even with refs now, it has boiled down to a case of, okay, is he keeping his elbow up? Then he's probably fine. And I think for yesterday, um, and with Piardi, Porter got away with that at set piece. Yeah. Uh, I've, got, I've got to say Go that <clears throat> Piardi, um, one thing I have to say, and and, and I may be um, uh, what's the word? a bleeding heart here, but with, I think it was a Ty Byrne um, score, he, he couldn't tell what the sto- he couldn't tell if the ball had been grounded or not and his question was not try yes or no or not this is a no it's held up can you prove it against it the question was I haven't seen it I, I don't know so this I think it was Carl Dixon that was on the on with him I don't know can you have a look at it and tell me what you think and this is where the refereeing decisions no matter what it is okay. I'm a bleeding heart, Scott, and and after after today's game, um, I'm even even more of a bleeding heart, Scott. Um, where we could have been now, but um, I just feel it's that the referees are becoming more and more important, and their questions are being becoming more and more important. And actually, saying I don't know is sometimes quite a good thing for a referee to do, especially when he's got um, he or she have have got. Four incredible, well, they're part of the fourth, um, incredibly 
um, qualified referees that are on a field, um, and they can, and and it's there's nothing to um, to ask a question. Um, painting a picture in a scrum has always been um, the biggest uh, the biggest um, weapon of a weapon of choice. You need to try and paint a good picture, and I think you're right um, regarding that. If you're painting the right picture, um, you're dominant in the scrum. You're going to get the scrum penalty. Very, very rarely, unless you've got Wayne Barnes refereeing you, um, or Ireland going to get um, get pinged for it. You know. Oh, that's true. And I've I've said it before about um about world rugby's place and all this. I do feel like there are certain parts of the game where referees are just being hung out to dry. And you, yeah. when you look at disciplinary decisions, that's the that's the number one example because you've got like I'm trying to think of the most recent one to have been overturned, but like there's been a lot of them this season. So we just we just take it as a as a broad point. Referees are being undermined the whole time, and like. Piardi and Nick Berry and guys like this who mightn't have a perfect game, but they only look worse because World Rugby will turn around then and be like, they'll tell the next guy, oh, well, you know, do this or do that. And they're changing their mind every two weeks. And even, I don't know if you see it, Eric, but like with the new tackle height things, referees I've heard have been told so many things over the last season that the tackle height thing has just become 10th on the list when it was supposed to be a major clampdown. And, you know, it, it depends obviously on who your manager is, but there is this element of just they are one isolated person who are being told to watch out for 15 things in a game and eventually you, you will miss a, a certain number. And like, I feel like Pierre did a good game yesterday to his credit. I'm not his his biggest fan, but like don't have anything against him. I, but I think he had a good game as well. And just to kind of get back on track a small bit, um, Craig, I'll throw this one to you because Ireland are... They're three from three. They're probably the most impressive side in it so far, but I do like to get people's perspective on them on a wider level. What have you made of, of Ireland's start? Not just this game, but the other two games as well. I think Ireland are just showing themselves to be currently the, the, the team we expect them to be right now, and that is at the top of their game. Um I think you're very much uh, there in the Premier League and the rest of the teams in the in the and the Six Nations are currently in the championship. Um, they are a big team to, they seem to, you know, you may, you hit a good point earlier on regarding um, the, the, the phase play that they have. There's no four phases and then either something goes wrong or, or another team, the other team gets their hands on the ball or as a turnover penalty or something like that. They, they go through 10 phases, stop, then go through another 10 phases and they seem to be relentless at this moment in time. So I think I think whether whether we can argue or, or talk about different players' skill levels, I think it's more of we, we laugh about it, we call it the Borg. Um but it, we call them the Borg and start there's a there's a Star Trek reference for you to show you how much of a geek I am. But um they're very um they're they're constantly at you, they will constantly come at you. Um and I, and I think there's there's times that they use the 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 um the breakdown to their advantage. Um, there's a lot of times that they're that the island are 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 illegal at the breakdown breakdown, but because of the way they're painting the game and they're painting the breakdown, they get they don't get away with it. I'm trying not to I'm not, I'm not trying to be rude about this. They 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 paint a certain picture so that they 
the referees don't ping them for it. Um, I think um, I forgot forgotten the, the young lad's name, um, McCarthy. I think he was very borderline in this last game. Um, there was a lot of things he was doing that could have been, if he got a different referee, that he may have been pinged a little bit more. But I think just at this point of time, I think relentless is probably the word, and it's going to be, you know, something's going to have to have to happen, and they're going to have to, you know, because. It, Sorry, I'm going on a little bit, but they've they've got you know we've taken out Johnny Sexton, and now they've brought in two young lads. Well, Crowley, Crowley uh, he's not that young. He's been playing along a fair bit of time with his Munster, isn't he? Crowley he is, he is, yep. Um, you know that he's playing well, but he's just fitted in straight away. Whereas you've got you've got um, players from Leinster who everyone thought, oh, they're just going to walk in because. Because um, Sexton, they're going to be the natural replacement for Sexton. He's come in, and they're just just as relentless. So I think it's it's just I, I can't put my finger on it. All I can say is that as a as a Scot and as other uh, other teams are that we've talked, to, I was with a lot of the, the the Welsh sort of contingent when I was down at Wales. They are the, the word relentless just keeps coming up for for Ireland, and we have to try and put a stick in the spokes somehow. And we don't know how big the stick is going to have to be, but it's going to have to do something, you know? Yeah. I, I think in terms of kind of that relentlessness that you talked about there, Craig, um, I mean, the two things is like, number one, like good teams are built on like two things. I think number one is momentum. And I think like momentum just doesn't feed in, like doesn't just feed into results. It feels, it feeds into like, how quickly top teams can hit top gear and create a pace that opposition just can't live with. And I think Ireland are really, really good at like all of a sudden ending up in fifth gear and the the opposition are kind of thinking like, oh shit, how did we get here? Because like even for Wales, I feel like, you know, that purple patch that they had at the beginning of the first, at the set of the second half where Tyke Byrne ended up getting sin binned and they got their penalty try and they thought like, shit, we might, we're 17-7, we might actually be onto something here. And there was one point in that half where Costello um, kicked into the corner instead of going for three. And I was kind of like, why didn't you go for three? You'd have been within seven points then. Like, you know, and you can yeah. just keep kind of... They did that twice. And... They did that in the first half as well. At 17-0 down, they had a kick in front of the post. And it did feel like, just just take the points and go back. And you might just get three more points before halftime. Yeah, and, and, and like that's as much as an important part of building momentum in a game as it is with, um, I, I, especially when you're playing against a team like Ireland. And, you know, um, I, I thought it was so important, important there for Wales to take their chances. And every single time they seem to just spurn that opportunity. And then, like, obviously, as the game goes on and the results starts to slip away from them more and more, you know, they're obviously going to recalibrate and set themselves different goals of like, OK, let's try and get out of here with a losing bonus point or let's try and deny Ireland the try bonus point. And then at the end, when Byrne went over for the fourth and final try with literally like the last play of the match, I was delighted for him because number one, it's Tyke Byrne and he's a legend. Number two, it meant we got the try bonus point. But you just see Welch heads completely drop as if to say like, oh, fuck, here we go again. Like, you know, we we, we tried to throw everything at this crowd um, and it didn't stick. Like in terms of um, in terms of. And you were talking about, you know, Sexton goes out and Crowley comes in. Like Crowley feels like he's been around for ages, but he's only 24. Yeah. Um, and then you look at, you know, you look at kind of opposite him, you had um Sam Costello, who's uh 22, and was it was it Lloyd or Evans was on the bench then for um for Wales? Either way, you know, like you're talking about a similar age profile, like Lloyd is 22, Evans is 24. 
And Jack, like, it's so hard to believe that this is only his third Six Nations start because he looks to the manner born in terms of just, like, the confidence that he plays with. Um, And I think, in particular with him, he offers much more of a varied game than Sexton would have done in the past in in the sense of, like... Crowley is genuinely when he gets that close to the line, it must he must be a nightmare to defend against because he's capable of breaking. He's capable of passing literally at the last millisecond to send someone away into a gap. And we like, saw that. Like night. for the low try. Like for the low try, yeah. like for the burn try uh, down in Marseille in um, the first game of the championship. And he must be an absolute nightmare to defend against. And I think what you can see as well is that he's much more of an on-ball um, out-half as opposed to, say, like a set-piece out-half like Sexton was. And I think you can start to see Ireland's game gradually shifting this season more and more away from like the counter transition, kick the leather off the ball style that we used to play, and more onto that like continuous phase play on ball rugby, like that period of on ball rugby that you referred to there, Kalon, where the ball was in play for I'd say a good seven minutes. Um, it was it was seven minutes, and it starts with Tyburn in the bin. Yeah, it, yeah, you know what I mean. Like and, and like the Welsh players were out on their feet, and the Irish player like Josh Adams looked like he was going to have to be carted off. And uh, the Irish players were up and they were looking for more and they were looking for hunger. They were hungry. They were look. They were really, really looking for that. I think one thing to kind of call out about that, this Welsh team as well, right? I was going through the, you know, the entire squad that they selected for the Six Nations. There's only four players north of um, 30 in that squad. Yeah. Um, they have such a young squad. And again, like, you know, Craig, you're referencing the Borg and Star Trek. Like, I'll introduce another sci-fi um, reference here and say that, like, the Welsh team feels a bit like it's like Logan's run at the moment. That, you know, a player in camp, they're, they're, the gem in their hand turns colour when they turn 31 or 32 and Gatlin, come, <laughs> Gatlin puts the arm around them and they, they go off to live with a farm in a, in a, in a, in a, uh, with a nice family on a farm somewhere, you know. Well, I've 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 seen uh, Dan Bigger's house on uh, on Netflix. You know, I think that's that's what's happened to him. He's yeah. been sent off to the beautiful place. Yeah, <laughs> but that, that's that's what cost him last week. Then you know that like, that's that's where I I don't know if we got to talk about last week, but I certainly did with uh, another podcast I was on. Like if we, if Dan Bigger is on that pitch against England, they probably get the job done. Now, granted, maybe not the Dan Bigger who's played this season, but Dan Bigger in general for Wales that was at the World Cup, they probably get the job done. And that's, I think it's part of their learning curve. I think it's part of Costello's learning curve. I thought he was really, really good yesterday. Yeah, he made a couple of mistakes, but like for a 22-year-old out half in his first Six Nations, second Six Nations start against one of the best Six Nations teams of all time in according to almost every metric. Yeah, he, he, did, a, he did a fine job and I I'm still I'm not disappointed with Wales. I'm not mad at Wales. Like I feel like they're probably surpassing most people's expectations so far. Granted, everyone's expectations were on the floor, but like that was still the expectation because people looked at the squad and rolled their eyes and said, "That's it." Like they're they're getting the wooden spoon. But like if they beat France in two weeks' time, would I be surprised? No, like yeah. genuinely, I would not be surprised. Well, now it, yeah, it's yeah. gonna take. 80 minutes of, to use that word again, sheer relentlessness, just being an absolute pain in the hole for 80 minutes. But that's what Wales do in Cardiff for years. And that's that's what they're best at. And it's a nice segue because we're going to move on to the Calcutta Cup. And if there's ever been a pain in the hole in England's in English side for the last couple of years, it's the man Duhan van der Merva. 
his hat trick, Craig, will is starting to break out into smiles and laughter now at this stage. His hat trick, crucial, as they took down England thirty to twenty one. It's four consecutive Calcutta Cups. I think it was eighteen ninety two, Craig, the last time they did it. And you know, to to use the anthem, when we see the likes again, it's a truly special win for Scotland yesterday, and probably fitting after what happened in round two. Yeah, I think um, I think we've. I'm going to say this, and, and I'm, I'm now then concerned about the next game against Italy. Um, but I think we're actually showing ourselves all of the things that everyone has talked about about Scotland over the last three or f- three four years has come together in that game. We, we've sh- we showed some control. We had we kept our skill level high, our penalty count a little bit lower. Um, we kept on the, you know, when England put that really nice purple patch right at the beginning of the game um, for Furbank's try, um, we didn't panic like we usually do, um, and we didn't doubt ourselves, came back, moved on, and away we went. I think, obviously, there was a lot talked about about their new blitz defence, their Springbok blitz defence, and how it's uh, you know this is going to solve everyone solve the problems and they're going to get the grand slam because of this um, this this um, uh, blitz defence and as we all know um, or certainly when I'm coaching defence um, you may have a blitz defence in the middle but you want a softer defence on the outside and unfortunately having putting all your eggs in one basket and and I'm going to uh, I'm, I'm going to you know Duhan van der Merwe. Um, was on the end of a couple of fantastic balls. I think he, if that was Darcy Graham um, or even Kyle Stain, they probably would have gone round the same way. Um, especially that try that he uh, scored. Um, he put the, he he ran round the outside when the ball came uh, came off the England player and he and, and he and it came to him. Um, I think that was maybe his sheer power that got that. He managed to run through the tackle, but I think you know, for example, that 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 kick through for the last try. Um, you know that could have been Stane or Darcy Graham, or you know. So I think there's been a lot being said about Duhan van der Merwe, and there's a lot being said about Duhan van der Merwe, especially from our friends, um, both east from you and from south from us. Um, and I think, yes, he's he is a fantastic player. He we have done a huge amount. You know, he's he's done a huge amount for Scotland. But we also Scotland have put a huge amount into him as well, um, and I think um, he's he's uh, as he's testified to he's um, he's resurrected his career with us, and uh, uh, I think he's doing a fantastic job. But I think you have to look at um, you have to look at where Scotland were with this game. They they managed to win dominance with the pack. They they they, they scored a couple of uh, you know they they would hit the ball up well protected the ball very well as well. There wasn't very many turnover penalties. You know, um, uh, England tried their best to, to, to give us some turnover, you know, to get turnover off us. But funnily enough, they were the ones that were knocking the ball on more and giving us more ball. Um, I think it was more of a, a complete performance to give Duhan the end of the, he was the end of the chain, if you know what I mean. No, it certainly was a more complete Scottish performance than we've seen. And I, th- I think I'm, made this comment to, to someone maybe yesterday or whatever, like the first game felt like old Scotland. The second game felt like old Scotland in a different way. And this one just felt like 
this is where they're trying to get to. And I do think we're, they're evolving. And we might get onto that in a minute, but England were the other side. And I want to talk about Scotland, but we do have to talk about England as well. And Eric, like, yes, they probably proved us right. And I know we talk, talked about this beforehand. Once you knock them off scripts, they kind of have a tendency still to fall like a stack of cards. And it's it more than likely it's just because they're evolving into a new team and they're trying to bed in new systems, but it's still they're still very flappable. They are, and I think um like England England rely and England historically have rely particularly under this like off ball kick pressure game that they're playing under Borthwick. Um, they rely so much on forward dominance and they rely so much on structure and everyone doing their job. And I think what Scotland did was kind of like play them at their own game in a lot of certain ways and try and force scrappy situations where errors could happen. Like I think of, you know, Cameron Redpath's break after that, um, after that knock on. Um, I think, you know, there was a particularly particular um bad sequence in the second half where like Jamie George failed to get his hands on a loose ball and then ended up like kind of kicking it back and losing even more yards. Um, and I think the the key thing as well, like, you know, we've talked about transition an awful lot in the context of this um Six Nations. And I think England went from kind of like Steve Borthwick being there in case of emergency break glass coach heading into the the Rugby World Cup in um after Jones left. And you know, there was a lot of talk that like, oh, England were only using the Six Nations as like an extended a fitness training session and you'll see now you know like England will really come good in the World Cup and of course England being the jammy bollocks as they are did in England in the World Cup and ended up in a third place playoff um but I think um like losing Sinfield and bringing in Jones like I mean I think Jones is an excellent um is an excellent um defensive coach but it's going to take time for that system to bed in like they are in a period of transition there and they're in a huge period of transition in terms of personnel but i think the i think the biggest problem with their transition of personnel is that borthwick uh, like he's kind whereas wales have kind of as i said done that logan's logan's run thing of like you're above the age of 30 get the hell out of here like england have kind of halfway housed it a little bit because you have a bench that has the likes of um, Chandler Cunningham South and um, Emmanuel Faye Waboso, who scored a fantastic try when he came on. Like, let's not forget, ran a great line uh, for his score. And, you know, like they're cycling in a lot of the Northampton players based on Northampton's form in the Premiership right now. And the likes of, you know, Tommy Freeman and, you know, Finn Smith on the bench and everything like that. And they've decided to dispense with the likes of... Um, the likes of um, uh, Owen Farrell, etc. But then you have like 37-year-old Dan Cole um, still packing down a tight head. Like, great scrummager, don't get me wrong. You have Jamie George, captain on the side, when I wonder, like, you know, would England, would it have been a more of a breath of fresh air for England to have started with the likes of Theo Dan, who's looked really good when he's come off the bench in, in any of the games and looks like a properly solid player? Um, uh, you know, like, even at scrum half, what does Danny Kerr offer at this level anymore that Ben Spencer couldn't? You know, and Ben Ben Spencer's part of a good Bath team as well. So I just think with Borthwick, he's cut. He's kind of trying to halfway house it between. He doesn't want to go full a full clear of the decks like Wales did, but as a result, then he's completely lopsiding it by bringing in the likes of like Cunningham South, who was only under twenties last year, if I recall, if I recall correctly, yeah. and he can't seem to make his mind up about like the actual path that he wants to take there. And I think similarly as well, you know, like um, Craig Craig spoke there about like coaching the blitz defense. Like they were grand up the middle, 
But as you said, Kaylon, the second they got knocked off, like the need for structure, the need to do things on their own terms, and the second the ball got loose or scrappy or whatever, um, Scotland were on top. And that's not surprising when you have, um, you know, when you have kind of like a lot of Glasgow players in there because they are also quite comfortable um, as a team with loose ball. And also, I think just the Calcutta Cup element cannot be discounted. Like, I think Scotland get themselves up so well for Calcutta Cup games in recent memory. And it's like somebody flicks a switch in Duhan van der Merwe whenever he plays against England that turns him from a really good player into the best winger in the world. Um, You know, we remember his wonder try against England in the Six Nations last year. Like, he scored three great tries here again this year. Um, and like that Calcutta Cup element in Murrayfield can't be discounted as well in terms of like, you know, that the atmosphere in Murrayfield is always fantastic for games. It's extra special for Calcutta Cup games. It's amazing the amount of teams that get their atmosphere up when England uh, when England rock up into town, isn't it? Um, but um, it reminds me of that. I, do, I don't know if you remember that band, that advertisement that got pulled for rugby coverage on BBC, where it was like every op, every every supporter of every team was asked who's the team they most enjoy beating, and every supporter that wasn't English said England. Um, but yeah, I think just again, like this is a term that we're going to come back to again, and again, like when we talk about France, when we talk about Italy, like transition is a big part of what England are doing here now. They're still transitioning from Jones to Borthwick. They're trying to cycle in new players, although I think they're going a bit too gung ho about it with the age profile of some of the guys they're keeping and with some of the as bringing in and also with some of the guys they're keeping that perhaps should be sunsetted out of their roles. And I think with Jones coming in as their defensive coach, like what I think next season, I do believe that England's defence will be quite formidable. We are just starting to see the signs of a team that still hasn't 100% got to grips with a new defensive system this year. And I, I know it's very lazy punditry to say it, but you do get the, the sense of England as well, where there's a little bit of, not 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 saying like they don't believe, I, I do think they believe in each other, but because they're so easily almost rattled and pushed off it and kind of there is kind of that sense that the heads go down it's like oh shit here we go again because they have been going through this for about what three years now at this stage where it's been you know games like this where they look all right and then they get knocked off and then nothing works for them and maybe like i know a lot of people were high praise on george ford after the first two rounds or you know of of the likes of marler george you know guys like that but Maybe there is a lack of leadership. Maybe the halfway house thing from Borthwick is the issue. But ultimately, when you are in transition, there's going to be so many things you could point to. And realistically, that that is the big one. And it will be the big one, as we said, for France initially when we get on to them. But Craig, I might just finish with yourself because we've mentioned transition again. Um, but Scotland certainly feel like they're involved with like the, yes, they scored three insanely good tries, two of them insanely good in terms of one was structured brilliance. The other one was um, unstructured magic from from Finn Russell. So often we've said that. But now they are very kick-heavy. They're very off-ball. Um, do you feel like it is a good natural progression for Scotland to move this way? Do you feel like it is something that, that will work? I think there's two things going in Scotland's favour. Um, they have been playing together. If you look at, you know, we... we on our podcast that we that we have, um, we we have our the team's been announced. Let's talk about the team, or let's let's talk about who we think's going to be in the team before the team announcement has, has happened. 
and you can pretty much tell the team straight off because we've been that this team has been together quite for some time. Um, so they're starting to. God, I keep saying this. They're starting to gel a little bit, and they're showing progression. I think they should have shown a lot more progression far, far quicker than now. But I think they're starting to get actually starting to believe that they can do things together. Tua Pelotu and Hugh Jones, you know, are playing together regularly. So they're they're, they're getting um, they're getting good forward motion. They're, they're putting they're finding spaces, etc. That little tip on from Tua Pelotu to Hugh Jones for the first try was just sublime. But that's knowing your knowing your thir- you know your twelve thirteen combo knowing each other incredibly well. Again, once two plotter had gone off, you bring on Cami Redpath, who's been playing with Finn Russell at Bath. It's a familiarisation. Um, you look at. I thought we were more dangerous when at that trans- that <clears throat> at that point when we've got. Um, you know, we've got a front row that's been playing a lot together. So you've got Schumann, you've got Turner, you've got Xander Fagerson. However, I would say that Miller Mills has surprised everyone. He had a, a very good game off the bench. His first little little period of time um, that he came on for Xander Fagerson um, uh, when he went off for a head check. Um, he wasn't. He showed his nerves, but actually when he came back on, he was very, very good. I think it's just... I, I honestly... I could get drawn into it and tell you, yes, we're we're building, we're building, and Ireland better look out because you know we're coming for them and this, that, the other, and then we go to Italy and we lose, you know. So it's it's just one of those situations where we have to be incredibly careful what we say, how we how we act, etc. But I think with with Finn Russell as captain, I think he's getting his way a lot more, and I think actually everyone's buying in a lot more. Whereas when it was Townsend, it was basically the you know, he had players on the field that were selling the Townsend way and didn't involve Finn. That's when we were finding ourselves in a little bit of problems and there was there was that sort of juxtaposition between Finn Russell and the rest of the team. So I think I think we've kind of solved that issue and I think we're moving forward. So fingers crossed, let's just hope we don't get to get complacent against uh, Italy like we did with Wales and they come and bite us back in the second half, you know. Mm. I think you I think you raise a very good point there about kind of like the detente that exists now between Tooney and Finn in terms of the benefit that Scotland are 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 reaping from us. And so my question for, for you then, Craig, is like, okay, three weeks is a long time in rugby and it's an even longer time in the Six Nations, but looking ahead to that game in Dublin on the St. Patrick's weekend, like would you do you think Scotland have it within them to be party poopers and to potentially get a win on the road in Dublin? I, I, I honestly, right now, I don't think so. I think, I think, I think, you know, everything's in, in Ireland's. You know, Ireland are playing incredibly well at an incredibly high level. It's also at the Aviva, so you're going to have the majority of the crowd there. Scotland thrive on a, uh, on on the fans, um, and the, the, you know, we showed that in Wales. You know, there wasn't a lot of us in Wales, and we were, we were fairly loud in the first half, but the second half we were we were concerned. And the big issue we have. And is in defence, as you talked about with transition. If we say, you know, you got Tyburn goes through a gap and gets maybe three or four yards, he goes to the ground, two people are in, Gibson Park picks the ball up, 
takes takes two steps, puts it to someone else, takes another six or six yards off us. That panic defence or that scramble defence that we have, that's when we give away penalties. And that's when we're on the back foot. That's when Ireland kick to the corner. Then they, then they come in and there's more pressure on us. And I think that's our biggest feeling is, is this we we when we're doing when we're in scramble defence, it seems to be that we overplay. Jamie Ritchie maybe overplays and tries to go for a ball that he can't he can't get to, gives away a penalty. Um we we just seem to it's not mentally folding, it's more the fact that we're just under so much pressure when it comes to that that everyone decides to do their own thing and causes more trouble than any than than actually playing as a team. That is, you know, Edinburgh do it on a regular basis. Glasgow have kind of knocked it away. You know, they 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 seem to be okay in, in panic defence, but Edinburgh fold regularly when they're un, put under pressure. Um, if you get and go forward ball, if they've got a dominant hit at the at the at the game line, so if. Bern comes at us and, and we put him on his backside, like we did with England um, this weekend. We were having, there was dominant hit after dominant hit. We then, it's almost like we believe our own hype and we move on and we and we go to those turnover balls or, we, or the, the, the team that's coming at us knocks the ball on. So that's my only concern that currently, as we've talked about, Ireland are relentless when it comes to phase play and where I where I worry our defence will fold under that relentless, um, and we'll get. It's not so much that they'll fold; they'll give away penalties, and that just gives you the opportunity to march up the field. Yeah, I, I get it, and I suppose one more question that I have for you as well, um, Craig. Sorry, Kaylon, I know it's your podcast, and I know you're no, hosting. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, Finn Russell. Um, so obviously, like you know, Finn when he's great, he's great. Um. When he's bad, he can be pretty horrid, but he seems to be having more of the great performances than the horrid performances in this year's Six Nations. Um, why? My, I suppose, question is, is it seems like Scotland are nearly afraid to take him off for long periods of time. Like Ben Healy got only a very, very small cameo um, against England there uh, at the week at the weekend. And if I remember correctly, didn't feature much against either Wales or France either. And didn't, like, didn't come off the bench in the first he few games. He hasn't featured at all. Yeah. He hasn't featured at all. And like, you know, myself and Kaylon are obviously biased with Ben Healy, given that he's a he's a former Munster man, and um, definitely disappointed to see him not featuring in green, but but delighted to see him playing international rugby. Um, is that like the fear there? I suppose looking at that, it kind of reminds it kind of reminds me of like what Ireland were like with Sexton, where we were nearly we were so scared to take someone else off the bench and. You know, it, it goes it, like to use an American football analogy. There was an old um story about Peyton Manning in training for, I think it was the Broncos. And uh, a, co- a coach asked, like, what do we do if Peyton goes down? And uh, a coach replies, if Peyton goes down, we're fucked and we don't practice fucked. Um, And it kind of feels like with Scotland right now that if Finn goes down, we're fucked and we don't practice fucked. Like, what, what do you think there there is an over-reliance on Finn or a reluctance to maybe cycle in Healy for more minutes? I think I think the big issue is is very similar to what you just mentioned with um, with Johnny Sexton. I think Finn is a talisman. Um, he's got better and better as he went to France, and now he's gone to Bath. He Finn's a confidence player. If you turn the if you turn the attack over to Finn and say to him, "It's all yours. You do it." He and and which 
okay, I might be over. I might be um, being uh, dis, you know, uh, rude to the the Bath attack coach and and, and also Tooney. But you know, when Finn goes, when Finn is left to to crack on, and and I think this is where the big difference with him this season has been is he is captain for Scotland. He's able to run the ship. Nobody's nobody's doubting him. There's no question marks over him. He's, there's, there's there's no hoo ha. There's no um, there's there's you know everything seems to be positive at this moment in time. So he's riding on that wave, and he's a, he's able to do even if he does kick a couple of kicks that hit off you know that don't go through between you know through the gap and and hit off a, a, a defending player. Nothing's phasing him. For me. You can't take him take him off because unfortunately, and and I love Healy. I thought Healy was we were we we won a watch when we got him, but he's been off color with Edinburgh for the last wee while, and he's been missing his kicks. That where which, you know, but on the other side of things, we are not. We've got Amali. I'm going back to to club rugby. We've got Emiliano Buffelli, who is ninety percent kicker. And he's not even getting the, he's not even getting the opportunity to step up for Edinburgh. It's always Healy gets the ball, Healy's going to kick it, and he has missed quite a lot of a lot of kicks within. In fact, he's probably um, cost us games is the wrong thing, but uh, you know the points total that Edinburgh could have had if he take his kicks, we probably would have won a couple of game, more games. So you've got him almost on a how can I put it on a downward, a little bit downward, and. So if you've got Finn Russell, who's at the height of his powers just now, very you know very close, you know I'll, I'll be a typical you know a typical Loudoun Scotsman. Finn Russell is probably one of the best tens in the world at this moment, if not the best ten in the world right now. You have you have everyone around you on that same playbook, as in the fans, the press, um, the, the 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 team, the team players, etc., are all on that same same. Path, you take him off and put Healy on. There's two things going to happen. Healy's either going to have a good game, but the who has going to be about Finn Russell being taken off, or Healy's going to have a bad game and he's going to be destroyed. And I don't want that for the guy because he's 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 put his hand he's put his hat in the ring. I'm I'm going with Scotland. I'm going to play for Scotland. He needs to be brought on. However, to go back to your original point, he needs game time. And he needs to play international rugby because if he doesn't play international rugby, how does he learn? Um, so it's a really difficult balance to have. I'm disappointed. George Horn went through the same situation with Townsend a few years ago, where he was on the bench for even against Italy, for example. He wasn't brought on. He's standing. I remember sitting in the in the because t- I'm lucky enough to know George quite quite well. He comes from my club, so. And he stand. I was watching him. He's at the sidelines, throwing the ball in the air, throwing the ball in the air, just waiting to get on, waiting to get on. And he never got on. And Townsend seems to seems to go down that route of if a game starts getting close, he doesn't bring on anyone. But unfortunately, Healy, for example, against Edinburgh and also against um, uh, against France, I think he brought on virtually everybody else and didn't bring Healy on. So. I don't know what's going on there, and I and I really it's a it's a concern. Okay, Finn's a captain, but we've got two captains. We've got a co-captain in Rory Darge, um, but I think Darge had been taken off by that at that point. So you, it's a difficult situation to be in. Um, but I don't think it's right. I think it needs to be. Um, you know, you've we've we've invested in yeah. Healy. We've told him that he's going to come come over and play for Scotland. Why are we, we using him? 
because really, I suppose beyond like Healy and Russell are the only two out halves in the squad, and your only option kind of beyond that then really is like you're not going to call up Duncan Weir again as much as Duncan oh, Weir is no, a, no, a long-standing servant of Scottish rugby. But like your your next option really there is Ross Thompson, isn't it? Yeah, um, I think I think, but this is again. This I know. Is, I think Tom. Jo- I think Tom Jordan will have qualified by the Autumn Internationals. Yes, he will have. He will. Yeah, have. but. You've got this situation where, and this is this is the um, the the Blair the the Blair Kinghorn experiment. You've then got that situation where you you stick um, Kyle Rowe on the on the bench if Healy's not going to if if one of them's injured Healy or, or Finn Russell, Blair Kinghorn's going to cover your ten. And and you know I'm a I'm a convert with Blair Kinghorn. Although, however, I would say he has become. A far, far, far better fullback now that he's the, that everyone's decided he's a fullback and that's what's going to happen. Or, or the experiment's over. But I think that's you. You know, Hastings was the more natural. Um, you would see Hastings and Finn Russell getting game time together a lot because Hastings has got that little bit of Finn Russell magic in him too. He's got the ability to kick the ball into space, he's got the ball, the, the ability to put flat passes and he's a little bit more of a maverick but you you don't really um, you, you don't see that from Healy, Healy's more of a he, he's got a fantastic boot on him when it's working, he's got, he's very metronomic um, and also he's, he's a bit like Kinghorn, he's, he's a big lad so he, he's happy to take the ball to the line and get the ball around the back of players etc so it's a really difficult situation. I can't really answer your question. It's like I've talked really long, quite long without actually answering your question as such. But I think it's wrong that Healy's on the. You know, for me as as an international players, if they're on the bench, they get on and they get ten minutes at least. And I think it, it, it was something that we should have happened. You know. I think that kind of sums up podcasts in general. I've talked for a while, but I haven't really answered your question. Yeah. <laughs> I just think it's ironic how everything that Craig said has been like. You could really relate this to Ireland, be it 2024 Ireland, 2021 Ireland, you know, like he's, you said there, I don't want to see the young lad be crushed after putting his hand up. I mean, if we ever get to a stage where Dan Parks is tweeting, the apprenticeship is over for Ross Thompson, then we know you've come full Ireland about it. Like, um, <laughs> but, and then at the same time, this is uh, this is groundbreaking. This is the first Irish podcast to ever compare Finn and Johnny Sexton in a positive light together and well, say they're I, the exact same. I was going to say at least Scotland didn't create an entire fucking tour down to South Africa just so Blair Kinghorn could get some minutes of ten. <laughs> hey, we 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 bet the 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 grit was like not many not many people could say that you know. I I would also say that the the um the mind you I don't think he was there but they didn't have. Um, the the camera panning every every time there was a break in the game to see what Stuart Hogg was looking like when he was watching the thing. You know, every time they went to Johnny Sexton, what they expect in Johnny Sexton to be happy, sad, angry, shaking his fist. It's like the guy's retired. Let him go. You know. <laughs> I one hundred percent agree. No one Sexton angry was probably going to be the default reaction anyway. <laughs> well, so. that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we will move on to Lille because speaking of angry, I think we all are a small bit. Not well, slightly angry, mainly disappointed because although Italy played a historic draw thanks to an Andrew Capozzo try laid on, they were denied by the wits of the post by some lap of the gods misfortune and so on. Craig, I'll start with you again. I I feel like everyone is heartbroken, but 
we'll start with the positives. It's another result that shows how far Italy have come, especially when you take into consideration they had England, historically their toughest opponent, Ireland, historically their second toughest opponent, and France away, who they'd never won to start a new coach's era. Yeah. Um, my problem is, though, is that Italy are still relying on, you know, they, they, apart from Wales, who they, 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 they probably beat in the last minutes. But, you know, every time they seem to have a good game or, or a better game, something's gone on. So there's a yellow card or there's a red card or, a, you know, um, they leave it again. They, they, thankfully, it looks like they've, they've, they've got fitter. Uh, and they're looking more professional. Um, I have arguments regularly with John Anderson on our podcast because he still thinks that Italy and and the two URC teams are are absolutely bobbins. But for me, they're they're growing slowly, slowly, slowly. Um, I think um, uh, Franco Smith started it with bringing in Garbisi, a very young agent in the Benetton, and I think they've they've, they've grown. And growing and growing, they've they've taken a few things out of our books, out of Scotland's book, and they're starting to look around in different parts of the world for different players to bring into Italy to play. And I think that the the finally, I guess, can can we say it's Conor O'Shea has start, started the revolution all those years back, and I think he's put in some fantastic building blocks. So I I honestly think that Italy are finally at a point where you're not going to point at Georgia and say, well, we should get rid of Italy and and, and bring Georgia in because Italy are just wooden spoon candidates all the time. They are, however, prone to brain farts. Their their, their skill levels just aren't there yet. Um, but I tell you that you know, give them another couple of years, I think they're, they're going to frighten a lot of, a lot of teams. Yeah. And Eric, in true Irish media podcast fashion, we're given the team a blue. Um, well, sorry, they're in white this time, but you, you take my point. The team of blue, the belly rubs, and the other team are being given the, uh, you know, the kick up the ass because they can't. You can't help but imagine that Fabio Galtier isn't under severe pressure now because they should really. I know sport doesn't work like this, but you feel like they should really be on three by now. I think. Um... It's ma- Yeah, they really should. And I-, I think the thing about like France this season is that they will point to the disruption of the injury to their starting halfback, um, halfback pairing. Because I think the drop-off in quality from Dupont and Entomac to um, uh, Lucu and Jalibert is just absolutely massive. Like you saw cracks appearing in the World Cup with Jody Bear at 10, um, not necessarily being um the best option in that system. But a lot of those were papered over by Dupont just doing mad Dupont shit for most of the matches that France played in and like, you know, coming back like doing something some weird cyborg stuff you know we were talking about the Borg earlier like Dupont was definitely part of the collective coming back from that for that quarter final against um uh South Africa to uh with whatever with his broken cheekbone um I think talking about the concept of belly rubs there though Kalon like I think I don't I think the last people to be giving themselves belly rubs about this will be the Italy side like Gonzalo Caseda um one of the best out halves to ever play for Argentina um, seriously competitive coach with a good track record. Um, they're going to be absolutely gutted that they're not coming away from Lille with the win. And I also think they're going to be fuming at the officiating, to be honest with you, because as soon as um, that French player 
started to charge down Garbisi's penalty when the ball fell over. The referee should have blown for a penalty, should have marched Garbisi 10 yards forward, um, should have marched the, the tee marker rather 10 yards forward. And there's no question in my mind that Garbisi would have nailed it from there. Um, France, again, like, you know, a side that are going into, in, into transition in the sense that, like, you know, Labitte has cycled out as their attacks coach and Arletaz is in instead. But you're bringing in a new attacks coach with a halfback pairing that ultimately isn't going to be your starting halfback pairing. And also your inside centre, Jonathan Dante, who's so crucial to a lot of the great work that um that France were doing. His form has just fallen off a cliff. And it's no surprise because he's part of a La Rochelle team that are like just stinking up the joint um this year, both in the top 14 and in some of their performances in Europe as well. Um and you know, you see a lot of guys there that are kind of on borrowed time. Like Cyril Bai has been having a terrible championship. Um, you know, I like I mentioned Dante there, I mentioned their halfbacks. Um, like, you know, even you know, even um what you call him, uh Damien Pinot, who normally looks like an absolute world beater, has looked very off the boil in um for a good portions of the game that um uh that 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 the games that France have played in the tournament so far this year. The other thing as well is I think we were talking about the idea of like you know England cycling in the likes of uh Cunning South and like previous under twenties players. Like France called up Pasolo to Yagi from their under twenty squad this year, and to be honest with you, yes, he's a big physical unit. He'll throw himself into rocks and stuff like that, but he plays with the rough edges of a young fellow who you called up from the under 20 squad. Yeah. And I think it's mad. And I, I actually think it's insulting to Italy to, to throw him in for um his first start and to think that Italy are the kind of team against which you can do that. Um, But I think in terms of uh where Italy are right now and like, you know, they'll, they, they'll be fuming, but like, I think they got their selection right today. Um, I think Italy are at their weakest when Stephen Varney is starting at scrum half for them. I do think he's the worst of the three scrum halves currently in their squad. Adriano um, seemed to have a good game today and, and Garbisi in week one as well seemed to have a good game. This is it. And like, I, I, I think as well, like you look at that back line, like of the back three of Ioane, Menoncello and Cuckboat. So like they're, that's a phenomenal back three combo. Um, uh, Craig was talking there about the um the Italian teams in the URC and yeah, Zebra are absolute bobbins. Yeah, I would completely agree with that uh statement, even though they're currently in thirteenth ahead of two Welsh teams. Um but um Benetton, in there. But I would honestly expect Benetton to have a home quarter final in the in the yeah. URC playoffs this year. I think they've been fantastic. And I think when you look at the Italy under twenties that are coming up, like, you know, it's a very, very common refrain in Ireland and it's one that I agree with and it's one that Craig alluded to there. Like this is where we're finally starting to see Connor O'Shea going into the grassroots in Italy, going in like setting up, um, set like setting up structures that are reaping dividends. And like you know, okay, they're still relying on you know like calling up the likes of Louis Lina. Matt Gallagher is going to be joining um Benetton from Bath next season, and he's Italian qualified as well. You know, you have like the aforementioned Varney, you have Ross Vincent, um, yeah, you, you know, Ioane is like Monte Ioane. You have players like that that are in that team, but at the same time, like. You know, you look at the likes of um, you look at the likes of admittedly French born, but came up through the Italian system. Capuozzo, uh, you look at the likes of the Canone brothers who are fantastic players. Um, you look at the likes of the two Garbisi brothers um, at the halfbacks, Federico Ruzza 
Um, I think is having a smashing tournament. I think he's a great. I think he's a great lock forward. I think he's a brilliant player. Like Lamaro in the back row, and then you consider like the players. Um, who's the young that I can't? His name escapes me right now. The young winger who's absolutely tearing up trees for. Gacy. Uh, Italy, yeah, Italy's under twenties. Like oh, the I under twenties. Um. Oh jeez, I can't think either. I was thinking Zebra there and, and Gacy. I can't yeah, think but of Gacy, and even and even Zebra, you know, like Zebra independent of that. Like you look at their um they have another winger. Um oh sorry, he's Argentinian. Uh, never mind that. But um uh there's a no, like there's there's a lot of like, you know, the Italy under twenties beat their French counterparts. Like there's a lot of promising things happening in terms of um Italian rugby. And I generally think like Italy were an interpretation of the laws away from winning that game today. And also Dante was as clear cut a red card as I've ever seen. It was such a stupid challenge. He made no effort to dip. He deserved to be red carded for that. Yeah, absolutely. We usually touch on the following round in, in some degree. So I might just really quickly, we'll talk about Ireland against England massively in another podcast in, in a week and a half time. So Craig, Scotland go to Rome next. Um, You'd imagine Scotland will win, but what should, what do you think you should be looking for, for from Scotland in that game? I, For me, um, Scotland should dominate and not take the foot of it, uh, Italy's throw. And this is the this has been our biggest problem. Um we we come up, you know, a lot of the times we just you just talked about it there, um uh, Eric, uh, you know, saying that we uh, when you go to Italy usually that's when the guys who have been on the bench all all the way through the the the, the tournament get their starts. And this is where we go to Italy and we take the team that we've just that have just beaten England, and we put the team on the and and we score, you know, have a fantastic first half, score a barrel load of points, and then we come on to the second half and we score another barrel load of points. I think that's what I expect. I would like to see from Scotland just because it's not a natural Scottish thing to do. The Scot Scotland that we know. Um, will go and they'll, you know, especially Italy, Italy are always well known for Scots, for the Scots to be the people we trip over. Um, you know, we went down to Wales t- um, two, three years ago to a poor Wales team thinking we're going to beat them and we tripped over them. Um, and that's that's where we have to, you know, go to go to Italy and absolutely slap them around. Um, and if we don't do that, I think we... The, the the Scottish fans will not be convinced just yet that we're going to be coming to Ireland to give you know to to give a good account of ourselves, you know. And Eric, the the other the other game that doesn't involve Ireland is France travelling to Cardiff and, and it really feels like that could be a tight game if if the trajectory of both of these sides is contained continued in round four. Like you just don't know. You genuinely don't know like what France team is going to show up. Um, like France have a habit of following up like a really terrible performance with a really good one um, or at least a winning one like you saw that the way they bounced back from being hockeyed at home by Ireland going over to Murrayfield to getting a win it genuinely wouldn't surprise me now for France to follow up like an absolutely turgid performance against Italy um, by going over um, to Wales and uh, getting, getting a win especially when you know like um, Dante will more than likely miss that match Given the way he's been playing, that's not the worst thing to happen for that French side. Oh. Um, the one thing I will say about Wales is like you'd hope that like 
you know, the one game they've had in Cardiff so, so far this year, like, you know, they very, very nearly brought it back um, in the second half against Scotland, albeit Scotland were probably unlucky to not score that try and put a bit more of a gloss on the, on the scoreline at the end of it. But Cardiff is always a really, really tough place to go for any team. So as much as I want to kind of like try and make prediction either way, like honestly, if I was to make a prediction, I would say that I think France are going to win it just because of France's tendency to follow up poor performances with um uh with good performances and the blessing in disguise of Dante missing this game. But I just think France have been France have been so disorganized and Wales have been just a step or two away from their own level of organization. But I think if Wales can do to France what they couldn't do against Ireland and disrupt the breakdown effectively, I think Wales are gonna make a difficult day of it for for the French. Uh, I'd agree. I'd agree with both both you and your predictions on that. And we'll have a full show looking ahead to Ireland against England and Twickenham. Um so we'll we'll leave that for then. Uh finally though we said we talked about it so we will Ireland under twenties now made it three wins from three and thirteen in a row in the championship on Friday night as they brushed aside Wales 43-8, to eight, thanks to tries from Sean Adogbo, Hugh Gavin, Henry Walker, Ben O'Connor, and two from Danny Sheehan. Eric, this, like, we'll just use this to wrap, wrap off the show. It was definitely one-way traffic in the second half. The first half was, was more patchy, but who or what stood out for you for, from Friday night? I think what stands out for me, Caelan, is the, like, the number of players in that team that appear tailor-made for professional rugby. Um and like I remember a couple of years ago during I think it was that weird COVID under twenty six nations where all the games were played in Cardiff and Alex Kendellan was kind of like manfully trying to drag the Ireland team through that championship and I think we finished around third or fourth in the table. But if you look at um if you look at the likes of say like Ben O'Connor looks tailor made for professional rugby like give him another year or two of pro S and C inside the Munster set up and like just watch him fly uh Hugh Gavin like is it that, that literally looks like boys against men with Hugh Gavin playing like he's a ridiculously strong player um Sean right, Adogbo Brian Gleeson is injured we should probably throw his name in there yeah but sure Brian Gleeson should, probably shouldn't even be playing 20s this year like you know that's that's a cheat yeah. code um but Sean Adogbo like the funny thing about Sean Adogbo is Sean Adogbo was one of those players that Mark Sexton didn't like and then Mark Sexton went to Connacht and then the Munster under-20s played the Ireland under-20s in the friendly and Sean Adogbo made an absolute fool of the Ireland under-20s playing for the Munster under-20s. So got called back in and is now showing exactly why he deserves to call get called back in. And like the elevator pitch for Sean Adogbo is Edwin Adogbo, but fast. And that's yeah. like a terrifying prospect. But look, at it, it's going to be interesting to see um, with that 20s team in particular next season, if Richie Murphy ends up getting the Ulster gig full-time um, who's going to step in? Genuinely, wouldn't surprise me to see Ian Keatley get the job. Um, yeah. uh, very, very well liked. I, I know a couple of lads. Hugely well, hugely well liked, and very, very popular in the in the youth and kind of like community game setup. Um, but I, as he said, what stood out to me on, on the Ireland side was the amount of lads that were uh, tailor made for rugby. What stood out to me on the Welsh side, and Craig, you kind of spoke about the problems that are besieging Welsh rugby at the moment with you know, the lack of money there for professional players and, you know, the mismanagement of the game in terms of like the overt focus on the amateur club game without a pathway into professional rugby. That's very much manifesting itself in Welsh underage teams in the last couple of years. Um, And unfortunately, um, 
certainly from last year anyway, Scottish underage teams as well. Like it's 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 very, very sad to see um the like lack of competition there. You know, we talked there are some great results, like we talked about how Italy are uh, very much on the up and up um uh this season in the under twenties, but Wales were Wales were poor enough for a finish. Yeah, they were. Um Ireland travelled to the wreck. We we won't have time to preview this um in two weeks' time. So just on that, they travel to the wreck to play England. They're, it's a very highly regarded English side. I understand you might have seen a lot of them. It it feels like that'll be that'll be tough, but as you said about the Scotland under twenties team, they win that, you feel like it's three in a row of the Grand Slams. Yeah, absolutely. I I think um uh, the English like if they if they can get past England then yes I think they'll kind of comfortably get past Scotland and it's like it's a phenomenal as much as like we might slag um you know Richie Murphy picking his own son at out you know um and picking one of his Presbrey teammates out in the wing um it's not you know like the results speak for themselves so like I can be as snarky about his selection policies as I want but if he's delivering three but but then again you have to kind of ask yourself it's like is the goal at that level winning trophies or is it player development? The problem is the, the Scottish under twenties are doing neither, neither of them, <laughs> um, and that's the that's the problem we have. Is and I think you know just to touch on what we're talking about Wales, um, you know we've just we we had a what we thought was a pathway to get our under twenty players playing higher level r- rugby, and we've just binned it. So and we're going back to the the amateur style game, bringing them through that way, and then and then playing the cal- sort of the regions sort of rugby, uh, we'll have to see. But again, that's going to be another four to five years in development to see if we can bring them through. Um, it's a really difficult situation, and currently, um, Scottish um, age grade at this moment in time is a bit of a bin fire as well at the moment. Yeah, unfortunately, that is the case, and. Might be something we might get onto in a in a podcast down the line, but it's it is a pity how it's become a three horse race <laughs> in recent years. And when you think about it, and without being too crude about it, Ireland their teams are heavily supported by the the wealth system in the Dublin private schools. You know that's the backbone of the team. France just have so many teams churning out the, some of the best academies in the world. Um, England kind of the same academy wise has never been their issue and college and universities teams are, are very very good as well Italy have made progress but Scotland and Wales have regressed in that matter and that's why we're seeing it like this and hopefully it does change but unfortunately it, it these things take time Um, but lads we leave it at that for tonight I know we ran long but it was a really really enjoyable show To always great to get an external perspective Um, from yourself Craig and and Eric, always good to have you on as well. And I'll be back during the week with an interview with former Munster at half Johnny Holland. So stay tuned for that. It's a really insightful interview. I think it's it's well worth a listen. But as always, thanks home to everyone for listening and to the lads for joining me. If you like what you see or hear, please do subscribe, like, leave a review. It all makes a huge difference. And really appreciate all the um, all the feedback we've been getting this tournament. So thank you very much for that. You can find all our links down below. But for now, and until next time, take it easy. Sports Social Podcast Network.